0: Good evening. Good evening. Mm-hmm. All right. <clears throat> Thank you for coming. It's it's encouraging to see faces I haven't seen in a while, and, um, and then faces that I have continually seen every week. I appreciate. There's. I have a lot to say, and I'm I'm sorry in advance if if I appear nervous. That's probably because I am very nervous. So. Um, <laughs> I just want to introduce myself quickly. I'm Patrick Duncan. If you don't know me personally, you probably recognize me from trying to play drums on uh, the worship team, but um, I've grown up in this church, and uh, I've been raised around the spiritual leaders in this family um, since a young boy, probably third or fourth grade, and attended the vacation Bible schools and the Sunday schools, and there's a lot of teachers and leaders that still serve, like Brent and Jim and Jamie Milner, um, who have taught me and my wife, Kristen, growing, uh, growing up in this church, and, and so if you don't know me, I'm sure you do know her. She's a lot more friendlier and popular and everything better. So um, we've been married eight years, actually, since um, Sunday, <laughs> last week. And um, thank you. And uh, we're also eight months pregnant um, with our first baby. So... Uh, Levi Anthony Duncan, he's due October 12th, and this uh, is, a, is a tremendous blessing in our lives. So we thank you for the prayers, and, uh, and I want to thank God publicly for his graciousness and, and his hand over our lives and um, his health and her health. He's nothing but good and gracious. Um, so Kristen and I, we have uh, the tremendous blessing to serve in multiple roles and capacities here. She works full-time in the office with Pastor Aaron and Pastor Conrad, as well as facilitates the children's ministries and um, oversees things like Awana and Vacation Bible School and things like that. Um, also, we, we co-lead the college and career ministry together, which is almost about a year in, and uh, that's really where a special place in our heart is. We love the young adults in this church, and for, like I said, almost a year, we've cultivated, I think, a a firm core, and COVID has presented challenges, especially within the last few months, but we've been able to draw closer to God, I think, as a ministry, the young adults in this church, and draw closer to each other. We've um, ministered to each other and carried each other's burdens. And so um, that's one of the most special places in our hearts in, in terms of serving here at the church. But in addition to that, I get the blessing to serve with the students um, in a teaching rotation along with Pastor Aaron, Greg, and Philip Ald, um, as well as leading small group discussions and events. And um, it's its own set of challenges but rewarding in another way as well. And so the student ministry is is an amazing uh, part of our family, but the praise team as well, and then cleaning ministry, and I guess I can take a second to make a shameless plug here. Um, our cleaning ministry at the church is on a volunteer basis, and I think the, 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 the individuals who commit their time every week to come and keep our Lord's home and his compound and his dwelling clean is, is fulfilling and satisfying and, and in a way that you can only describe as a servant. Of God, and so if anybody's looking for a place that you can connect and and serve easily, every Thursday morning we meet around 9 a.m. or 10, and we just knock out a bunch of chores and jobs that get done regularly. And so Miss Jeannie Best has been uh, serving on that ministry since the beginning, as well as um, Miss Joan um, and a handful of others. I'm sorry, I'm not prepared to remember that, but. Like I said, discipled over uh, the years by a variety of different leaders and teachers, some of whom are still here. I was led by two different youth leaders over the years, the latter of which is now my father-in-law, Shay Handy. That's Kristen's dad. So a very unique dynamic being raised in this church and now um, having taught been taught from the pulpit for many years uh, by Daryl Permitter, which most, if not everybody, knows here. And then that included a variety of other speakers and leaders, such as Raymond Harrison, Ivan Librant, who's a close friend and mentor of mine, Glenn Rogers, Dennis Littleton for a time, and then, of course, our pastors, Pastor Conrad and Pastor Aaron, who are dear friends. And I think we all, you know, can be grateful and thankful for their shepherding and, and uh, leadership of our flock. So I'm not trying to impress you, again, I just want to give you an understanding of who's talking in front of you and and what my background is, is almost exclusively been in terms of training in the word and discipleship from here at First Baptist Geneva. Um, I don't have a Bible school um, credit or to my name or um, any university experience. Um, It's just an appetite for truth from God's word that he's just richly blessed me with, especially in the last five to eight years of, of our lives has been, we've made leaps and bounds of our faith and, and God has um, rewarded us and it's been fruitful. And so, it, nothing short of an absolute blessing to consider all the years of being poured into by these leaders and I fully recognize his, his grace in that, um, keeping me and her safe and sound even during our unfaithfulness and our rebellion. He's been nothing but good and it's a great honor here. Um, to be teaching tonight, so thank you for all that. Um, so we're going to start in, and not get very far, but John 14, if you want to go there. John 14, we're only going to get through a few verses, but thank you, Becky, for your short testimony on on that, and, and uh, it goes, it falls exactly in place. And this has been on my heart. And for a week now, when I was asked to teach by Pastor Conrad, he told me I could choose whatever I wanted. And that's not hard when we teach college and career and um, the students. Uh, for the past seven or eight months at the beginning of the year, the college and career has been studying the book of Daniel. And so Daniel is increasingly relevant and it's, it's profound and intriguing to, I remember Debbie and, and, um, and uh, Kathy were in, in our class before we started um, college and career, and they were going through that with us. It's just intriguing to study and increasingly relevant. But the, the student ministry has been in the Gospel of John for a while, um, almost like two years now. And so it's been a slow process, but it's been enlightening, um, John's unique take In in perspective on the gospel. Um, If you haven't studied or fleshed out or done a disposition of John, it's it's incredible. And so through uh, some more in-depth studies and lessons, we made it all the way to chapter 13 and 14, which we covered the past couple of weeks. Um, The first half, these first couple of chapters are half of what's called or referred to as the upper room discourse. And so if you break down Jesus Christ's teachings and his lessons, this discourse of his would be at the bottom of the list, probably because it's the last of his. This is moments or the night before his crucifixion. So chronologically, that's where we are. Chapter 13 had some interesting things that we'll cover, but 13, 14, 15, and 16 um, of John is the Upper Room Discourse. And if you include the final prayer of Christ from the Garden, it would be Chapter 17 as well. It's, it's um, a, a unique study. And so we're going to start in Chapter 14. At this point, though, for context, what we're going to uh, talk about really quick is a few details from 13. The public, in terms of Christ's ministry, is no longer there. This is a, now a private meeting that's taking place. His miracles, his works, he's completed all that. So this is actually a private meal taking place over a private meeting. And so this intimate time is between Christ and, at this point, 11 of the disciples. And why is there 11 now? Yeah, Judas is gone. And so there's a noteworthy detail of context. Before we read, so a few other observations. Christ has declared a few things that's kind of ruffled their feathers a bit. He's identified that one of the disciples in the group is going to betray him. And we know that from our perspective as Judas. It didn't seem to register with them at the time, even though he, it almost seemed like he made it obvious by dipping the bread and giving it to Judas. Uh, It just didn't seem to land on them. So they were confused, and I'm sure they were at the very least suspicious about what's going on in the conversation he's about to have because they've been traveling together and they've become close with one another for three years and now one of them is going to betray the Messiah. So there's that. Second, next, Jesus has also told them that he's going away. He's not forthright in telling them that he's going to die on the cross. We understand that. But in verse 33 of chapter 13, he refers to them as little children and says, I shall be with you a little while longer. You will seek me, and as I said to the Jews, where I am going, you cannot come. So in verse 36, Peter replies, he says, Lord, where are you going? And Jesus answered him, where I am going, you cannot follow me now, but you shall follow me afterwards. And so at the end of chapter 13, Peter tells Jesus that he would lay down his life for him. He would die for Christ's name's sake. And how does Jesus correct him? You're going to deny me three times before the end of this night. So, we consider the circumstances as we continue reading in chapter 14. It's the same dialogue. This is probably a poorly placed chapter break here. It's not a new setting or a new idea or new set of characters here. We're just uh, 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 in the same conversation that we're continuing. And all of the disciples just got this cluster of bombshells dropped on them by their Messiah, whom they've loved and followed for three years. They've abandoned their families and their livelihoods. Nobody's fishing. Nobody's collecting taxes anymore. They're just following Christ and they're just soaking up every moment and ounce of his deity, his perfection, and learning who he is. He's never harmed or sinned anyone, much less his learners, his disciples. But now he's told them that they can't come, for at least that they he's leaving and they can't come, at least for now. So try to imagine the horror in their minds and how troubled and distraught and worried and anxious they are at this point. They're agitated. And like we had mentioned, I, and I hadn't realized that you would, posted or been posting about this, John, and from the scripture in, in Matthew, I believe, right, about not being anxious. And there's, there's more than one way and, and more than one uh, passage to address anxiety and worrying from scripture. Um, but my hope tonight is as we discuss these passages, you're, you're encouraged in a unique way with a reminder of eternal promises for his beloved, For his chosen and his redeemed, the followers of Christ. These are promises exclusive for us that he talks about in John 14. So let's go ahead and read now. Verse one, he says, do not let your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe in me also. Drink. Excuse me. So you notice here, the first thing he gives is a commandment. This is how he's choosing now to minister to the disciples in this time. There's a lot of circumstances, again, to to consider in the tone in the room, they are distraught and anxious. And this is how he's this is how he's appealing to them. There's an imperative with a passive tone to do something, or in this case, to not do something that they are already doing, which is worrying. Their hearts are troubled. I think there's probably a lot of troubled hearts in here tonight. Mine's been troubled for some time. Um, So the imperative and the commandment is to to not worry, to stop being anxious. And they're freaking out, and he's saying, it's nonsense. He commands them to not let their hearts be troubled. And note here that there's no follow-up or extra steps. There's no dependency that we have on the Spirit for this. That's to me, a suggestion that we have control over this commandment. He wouldn't command us to do something that we wouldn't have the capacity to fulfill. And so we have the means and the capabilities of controlling our emotions and and managing the troubledness and the worry and the anxiety in our hearts. I have never thought I was capable of functioning under so much stress except the last seven months of our lives with. There's a lot of preparations in our home and our lives to make for, for Levi, but this has been a rough season on our family for COVID. Um, in addition to that, the, <clears throat> the oppression around the world and the, the beloved saints that are, are being persecuted in, in countries um, uh, for the sake of their bold witness, um, it's hard, I think we're almost maybe dutiful And there's an obligation to to dwell and lament and and mourn and weep over those beloved saints. Um, And I don't know about you, but sometimes I find myself in in more of a state of, of anxiety and apprehension about the future. And that's nonsense. Christ repeatedly, all throughout Scripture, has commanded us to not worry and not be anxious. And that is one Feeling that as sentient beings, we have the—we were created with the ability to process and, and engage emotions. This is one in particular that we are commanded to not engage in—is worry. So, with the commandment comes the capacity to keep it, and as he commands to stop stressing out and being anxious, don't worry. And, but how are we going to do that? It's yeah, easy. How are we capable of managing the control of our troubled hearts? This is where our application comes from tonight, and it's all within the next couple of verses. So we're only halfway through verse 1. The three things which are easy to remember, and again, these are unique eternal promises for his beloved. Do not let your hearts be troubled because of, one, who you know, and two, where you'll go, and three, what he'll show. It's easy to remember, easy enough. So first of all, who you know, let not your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. So you think of all that the disciples had experienced with Christ. They've witnessed the miracles like him calming the storm they thought they were going to die from. And then he walked on that water. He fed a multitude of thousands of people by just bringing food, multiplying it out of thin air, and raising the dead, Lazarus. Nobody has ever done anything like that in the history of mankind's existence. He's the only one. They personally witnessed. They had not just an anecdotal story to rely on and, and, and retell. They they witnessed it themselves. They bore witness to his miraculous deity and his and his power. So, I think at this point, of course they believed in him. He's done this all throughout the Gospel of John, but he's now asserting again his deity of Christ. So we know and believe in God the same as we know and believe in Jesus Christ. He is the creator and the sustainer of the known universe. So the incomprehensible in size, cosmic creation, down to the inconceivable and small that we can't even see. He has created and sustains everything in between. And Fred, I'm going to try to use this here. Um, I'm sorry, I haven't gone over this. This is just a place I felt it was appropriate. This is who we know. And if I fumble over these words, I apologize. He is the only mediator between God and man. He is the son that enlightens, the physician that heals, the wall of fire that defends, the friend that comforts, the pearl that enriches, the ark that supports, the rock to sustain under the heaviest of pressures. He is seated at the right hand of the throne of majesty on high. That's in Hebrews 1.3 and 8.1. He is superior to the angels in Hebrews 1.4. Better than Moses, better than Aaron, better than Joshua, better than Melchizedek, better than all the prophets, better than Satan, Luke 4, 1-12. And stronger than death, 1 Corinthians 15-55. He has no beginning and no end, Revelation 117-18. He is the spotless lamb. He is our peace, Ephesians two fourteen. He is our hope, 1 Timothy 1-1. He is our life, Colossians 3-4. He is the living and the true way, John 14-6. He is the glory of Israel. 1 Samuel 1529. He is the root and the descendant of David, the bright morning star. He is the faithful and true. He is the chosen one. He is the apostle and the high priest of our confession. He is the righteous servant. He is the Lord of hosts, the Redeemer, the Holy One. O oh, Israel, the God of whom the whole earth He is the man of sorrows. He is the light. He is the son of man. He is the vine. He is the bread. He is the door. He is the Lord. He is the prophet, priest, and king. He is our Sabbath rest. He is our righteousness. He is the wonderful counselor, the mighty God, the everlasting, the prince of peace. He is the chief shepherd. He is the Lord of God of hosts. He is the Lord of the nations. He is the Lion of Judah. The living word, the rock of salvation, the eternal spirit, the ancient of days, creator and comforter, Messiah, and he is the great I am. That's who we know. Don't be worried. Don't be anxious. Because that's who we know. That's who we love and worship. That's who we are dead in and who lives in us. Thank you. My father's house, verse 2 has many rooms. If that were not so, would I have told you that where I am going to prepare a place for you? Heaven. Did you know that heaven is mentioned in all of Scripture over 500 times? It's referred to, I think it's like 530, 531 or 2. This is a pretty clear reference to heaven by Christ, I believe. But he describes it from a relational perspective. He says it's not, it's not a physical location that they perhaps think he's alluding to. He calls it his father's house, like we call home home, like we love our home, or mom and dad's house, or grandma and grandpa's. It's a personal place to him. It's family-related. So in his father's house, there's lots of rooms. A popular, popular translations use the word mansions, and I think that gives us... Maybe as with Western culture and as Americans, the wrong impression or idea, like a West Coast mansion with extravagant cars in the driveway and tons of uh, um, bedrooms (laughs) with a pool. Uh, I don't think that's what he's alluding or referring to or suggesting. I think there's a more accurate, accurate translation for the word mansions and or lots of rooms as dwelling places or apartment rooms. And these are strange passages to ponder upon. There's a lot more than I have knowledge of, and we have time uh, to go into all that the Bible says and talks about heaven, but there's a great deal of it. And I believe here in Jesus' remarks, he was intending to reassure them that they will dwell again together. He's told them that they're going away, that they're going away from each other, they're going to depart, but they will be together again because of where you'll go. Do not let your hearts be troubled because of where you'll go. Maybe he's talking about new heaven or new earth or new Jerusalem. I don't know. Uh, Those are are really interesting passages. And if you've never read or or studied those, I I would hope that's enough for you to pick up your Bible and and uh, and research those, but in either case, I think it's interesting that Christ he made these comments a long time ago. He says, "I'm leaving to prepare a place for you." Over two thousand years ago, he said that, and I wonder if he's still there, preparing and working on it now. If he's personally working on a place with dwelling places for us to to dwell with him. And you. Think about he created the universe, everything that we know in our reality and existence in six days with his speech. He did it effortlessly. Um, I can only imagine what this father's house is going to look like in these spaces. Some of it is described in Revelation, um, New Jerusalem, the capital city of New Heaven. It's, It's very fun to read about. But because of where we'll go, That's why. To not let your hearts be troubled. In verse three, and if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me, that you also may be where I am. So, you, um, if you, if you're not familiar, may want to make yourself a note. Um, to go back and reference or read 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 and 5, 1 Corinthians chapter 13. And there's other passages that refer to this, but in these scriptures, Paul is talking about what I believe Jesus is referring to as the rapture of the church. And so, don't let your hearts be troubled because of what he'll show. I don't believe he's saying here that he's going to come Well, what he's saying here is that he will come back for his followers. I don't believe he's talking about the second coming, where he will come back for judgment and to establish his kingdom. Paul makes a clear case in Thessalonians and Corinthians for a separate event that comes before the second coming. So, I understand that there are other theological takes on this scripture, but this is what what I believe, and this is what I wanted to say I hope you are encouraged by, because I believe that Christ is going to come back for us, and like Pastor Conrad says, perhaps even in this lifetime, perhaps it's this generation that will be upset. It could happen before this evening, before we even close, and so I'm not discouraged or scared of that. That's... That's exciting. That's comforting. To not let our hearts be troubled because either I die and go to heaven or Christ will come in a nanosecond and take me up in the twinkling of an eye. All of us. All of his believers and his beloved. So, because of these remarks from Christ, the church has had what Paul calls the blessed hope. And that blessed hope is that he will return for us at any moment. Let not your hearts be troubled because of what, we'll sh- what he'll show. He'll show himself. And this gives me great comfort in every worldly circumstance I can consider. If you examine the state of the world, our political climate, the, our, our, our community's health status, um, and again, the oppression and... <clears throat> Of our beloved saints uh, in other countries, um, it's 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 easy to try to be hopeful for change in the next election cycle or the next transition of, of leadership. And so, I don't think even if that happens, it would be enough. Even if more righteous individuals are ushered in, it wouldn't be enough to satisfy our hearts. Not until Christ comes and establishes an authority that is for eternity, an everlasting kingdom. And so that's what I dwell on, and that's where I'm placing my hope in, is through change that comes only through Jesus Christ. Now, I want to just remind us here, we're almost done. Um, In these moments of his final hours in his life, this is the, the meal after the very night before his crucifixion, he has full awareness of the outcome for every disciple in the room. And he knows what's getting ready to happen to him the next morning and how they will be left broken and devastated and without hope. He knows that he will rise again and he'll reveal himself before ascending and he knows that the gospel will go forward through the disciples to Russia, India, Asia, Africa, He knows that they'll suffer greatly for their faith. And most of them will meet violent deaths on account of their witness. So Christ has the supreme knowledge of how much harder it's going to get, how much worse it can go. And it will get for them. But this is when he decides, again, hours away from the morning, the next morning, well, he'll be crucified. He'll endure the scourging, the beating the public mockery and physical torment to the degree of being unrecognizable, it says in Scripture. He decides to minister to his beloved with sweet words that I think had settled in their hearts where they continually relied on and perhaps referred to or um, recited out loud verbally, maybe even moments leading up to their own To their own death. Some of them were beheaded, beaten, stoned to death, boiled for their faith. And we read of that same sweetness from Christ later in chapter 14, where he tells us that he will send the Helper, the Holy Spirit. So there is more assurance. He's not going to leave them as orphans. He'll tell and explain later. Even though he's going away now, they'll be together again. But these verses, one through three, like I said, penetrated the hearts, and I, rep- I pray it does the same for you tonight. I pray that you stamp this into your memory, the setting of the upper room, and the tone, and the anxiety, and worry, and the stress in the disciples' hearts hearing that their beloved Messiah is leaving them. One of them is betrayer, and the star pupil of the bunch is going to face the biggest spiritual failure in his life. Consider how Peter felt that morning after he had denied his Lord for three times. He probably thought he was done for sure. No way the king would take him in. Um, but God's good. When I think of troubled hearts, I'm sure maybe some of the things, same things come to mind for everybody in this room. I think we've had a heavy season as a body and, um, and even in the community. There's a lot of loss. Um, but I want to leave us with this thought to ponder on. If, if Christ chose to minister to, to these guys, to his learners, in this particular time, in the most stressful hours of his life, How much do you think you, as a born-again believer, someone who's washed in snow and by his blood, who belongs to him, how much do you think he'll minister to you anytime, ever? A lot. (laughs) When he's at the right hand of the Father, interceding for us, loving us and caring for us, please know that Christ is there ministering for you. And he hasn't just left us with the spirit. He has given us eternal reminders to to place our, our faith and help us eliminate the worry and anxiety in our hearts. So I know this. some of this seems like strange, abstract conclusions you could draw from scripture, but I can assure you that there's nothing more authentic and real than a relationship with creator of the universe, Jesus Christ. Um, so if, if Jesus is estranged to you, if, if these concepts of the Father's house in heaven and, and, and the rapture, regardless of your theolo- theological position on that, if, if these things intrigue you, but you, you not, are yet to the point where you can call Christ your Messiah and you are a beloved, none of that really matters. Not to you at this point, not yet. So I pray that the Holy Spirit is working tonight and there are multiple people in this building right now that if there's a work being done, if there's, if there's questions that you have, not just about the content in John, but about Christ being a Messiah who can save and, and end the suffering and bring joy and peace, and like the song says, that's unexplainable, um, please uh, uh, allow the Spirit to, to, to work in you tonight. Um, don't grieve it. Don't choke it. I would be here as long as I need. I'm thinking there's multiple people who could who could clarify scripture and pray with you. Um, but I thank you again for the opportunity to, to teach. And if we do, uh, or the, the honor comes my way again to have the opportunity, I would like. The original plan was to do a, a light exposition of John, perhaps one through six. Um, and that's where the iconic... I am divine, the, truth, the way, the truth, and the life statement comes from Jesus. And there's there's a lot of good scripture there. But for some reason, the last week, I couldn't get past the first three verses. And um, I think the Lord has just been laying it on my heart to kind of remind our church and our heavenly um, king has eternity um, and eternal promises. He has told us that he will dwell with us forever, whether or not we experience a physical death first or or if he comes in, in, in the twinkling of an eye, takes us all up. So, I uh, appreciate your time. Let's pray. Father, it is always a blessing to be in your house, and uh, you have grown me in, 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 in ways, and you have enlightened me and revealed parts of your glory and truth through just the study and preparation of this. I, I pray that there is a work that continues to uh, be done tonight. And you manifest your way that leaves us without hesitation or without any uncertainty of who we belong to and that you live in us if we are truly born again. And for those who don't have that certainty, Lord, that um, that you would just prevent them in the, uh, from leaving if it's, if it's your will that um, God, <clears throat> someone makes a decision that changes their eternity here tonight, Lord. That's what we pray. Um, I ask that you would bless the, the students and uh, the younger children who, who have also been hearing your word, and that your work and your word uh, that is perfect and infallible will continue to speak to us throughout the evening as we, as we go home and fellowship with our families, Lord. We love you, and we pray all of this in your perfect, awesome name, Jesus Christ. Amen. All right.